HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from this time pretty late, 12, like 20 to like 12.45, 1 o'clock from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. <laughs> Got Nastasia the Hammer Lopez on the horn because she's, uh, you know, she's busy doing catering again for her favorite people who are. are Saturday la- Night Live. Yeah, yeah, she's, uh, you know, Pasta Flyers doing That's the... That's like my favorite, this is like my life goal, and I've reached it, so I can die now. And, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, as as, uh, as Dave says, if uh, you know, as Dave in the booth says, how you doing, Dave? Good, how about you? Uh, good. As Dave likes to say, if you've reached your goal, die now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's very Roman. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, you, you've done it. Do it. Goodbye. You know what I mean? Like, if like you reach yeah, the average. Yeah, who wants to look? You know how much fun is it? Remember back when I was cool. Remember back when I was at the top. <laughs> glory days. Yeah. Oh, are you saying some glory days? Yep, yep. I love. It. Is that the first time you've ever sung on the show? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to check the archives. Pass you, bar. Uh, so the uh, <laughs> although that's that's from a guy that never passes glory days. He just gets better and better. That guy. Eh. What? I mean, no. Listen, nothing against Bruce. That's the first concert I ever went to. Love Bruce. I wouldn't say he's in his prime anymore, but I don't think that he's also not like clinging to it the way like the Rolling Stones are. You know? No. I mean, look, Bruce Springsteen. Like, yeah, okay. Like, if you had to choose one era of Bruce Springsteen, it wouldn't be right now. But the right. guy is like still working, doing other stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, no he, doubt, no doubt. Know, he's, like, he's in a different phase of his career, and I, I respect that. He's not just trying to do what he was doing 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I don't know. I, I gotta look. Nastasia probably hates Bruce Springsteen because he's cool. No, I would love to see. I would love to see him before he goes. Really? Me, I, I would, <laughs> before, I would he yeah. goes. before he goes. <laughs> like he's on his deathbed. Like you never know. Like I said before, uh, my man Neil Diamond retired like, like right before I was going to get a chance to finally go. And I had like, you know, I had over 30 years of being conscious of his music and didn't go. So bad on me. 
Same with Bruce Springsteen. But, you know, the problem is Bruce Springsteen concerts is they sell out in like 13 seconds. You know what I mean? Yeah, the scalping has gotten out of hand. Yeah, scalping's gotten out of hand. Oh, so the bots so, and all that. So I was noticing something on the subway that bothers the heck out of me. All right, so like, so uh, what's the ordering application to people, the uh, like delivery app that people use that aren't from New York City? Grubhub? They use Grubhub? Uh, That's the one that they use elsewhere? But here we use, most people I think use Seamless here, right? I use, we use Seamless. What about you guys? Yeah. 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 So Seamless, so for those of you that aren't from New York, Seamless, I guess, is like your version of Grubhub or whatever. Uh, they have the most irritating subway ads they just really bug the hell out of me. It's all of these. Oh, are they the ones that ask you to, to tell you you can order whatever you want with your order? Yeah, it's like it's like yeah, like add add like a, a and it's like all of these like pseudo witty notes that people have added to their food or, like instructions. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Draw, I know what you're talking about. Draw a whale on the bag. The bag doesn't need to be. The whale doesn't need to be eating bread. He just needs to look confident. Or like, go tell my neighbor <laughs> to stop stealing my Wi-Fi. Not funny. Listen. Like, may, it, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, it, Wi-Fi it, theft is no joke. <laughs> no, it's cute, right? I guess it's cute, but my feeling is is that everyone involved, no one involved in that advertising campaign has ever had a job delivering food. That is my, right. that is my guess. Yeah. Absolutely yeah, yeah. zero people involved in that ad have been delivery people. And I guess, That's you know what? Point. To be honest, the vast majority of New Yorkers who are ordering stuff have probably never worked delivery before. Uh, I have worked <laughs> delivery before. And let me tell you, like, we are not your playthings to right. F with. Like, we are delivering you your food, and we're hustling out to deliver the next, like, order of food. We just want to get our freaking job done and be left in peace. We don't want right. to be a pawn in your freaking game. We don't, none of that. You know what I'm saying? It's it, like, yeah, I gotta say, I gotta say, it is really, like, it is really effed up the way that delivery is seen now because we've been doing delivery of pasta flyer and people write stupid ass, that plug in. Uh, notes like that on their delivers. Yeah, it's because of this freaking seamless campaign. Everyone's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. oh, we're so, oh, we're hip. We're friends with you. No, you're not. I'm delivering you food, right? Now, right. It, look, it's got to be a little bit different now. Look, when I was doing it, it was also like the 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 hyper anger crapshoot of not knowing whether you were going to get tipped. Now, I think the vast majority of people are tipped ahead of time, which is kind of bizarre. Like you know, you know, you know what you're going to get tipped in advance, so you know whether or not you hate the the you know the person. Or remembering back to Rod Finer, who I worked with in delivery, whether or not they were going to spit in that person's pizza, which. P.S. people happens in the real life. If you really mess with your delivery person, they're not all, like, super friendly to you. You know what I'm saying, Stas? Not that no one at Pasta yeah. is going to do that, but why would you mess with someone who is, like, working hard and, like, trying to get... Like, they're, they're going out in the freaking rain. They've probably been T-boned by a car. Like, who, who the hell knows? You know what I'm saying? It's just, leave them alone. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? I, I try to explain this to my dad, too. Like, when we're at a restaurant and, you know, he is trying to be, like, really clever with the server. I'm like, they don't, they don't like that. You know, they're pretending <laughs> to like you right now, but they don't, they don't need this in their day. You know, they've got enough going on. Yeah, it's my cousin James, who, you know, was work, worked front of house for a long, long time. It's like, basically, everyone comes in starting at about a C and can go down. Like, you can't go up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you start at a C and you can go down. That's there. really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, and it's just like, uh, you know, like, never under, like, don't underestimate, right, the fact that, 
like, yeah, this person is being paid to be pleasant to you. Doesn't don't abuse that. You know what I mean? Like, don't abuse it. Whatever. So, like, what's some stupid the, stuff? The people stripper have... is not your girlfriend. <laughs> that kind of mentality. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. Uh, so, Nastasia, like, what are some stupid things people have not written on your on restaurant your stuff? workers to strippers? Just to clarify. Yeah. Just all right. Yeah. Styles, uh, what are they doing? Just like adding on things, like as if it's free. Like, can you add some of the the three of the different sauces on there because my my boyfriend likes it? Something like that, and you're like crap, now I got to do it, but they're not paying for it, you know? So they put everything in the notes so that they don't have to pay for it. Well, is there a slot to buy extra sauce? Yep. Oh, oh yeah. There's a slot to buy extra sauce and they don't use it. Yep. Wait, so why do you have and, to do it then? Or they'll say, can you put some lobster on it? What? There's no lobster. Yeah. And it's like, no. You're like, no, I got to go down to like Chelsea Market. I got to right. buy a lobster. But these freaking ads, like one of the ads is like, can you make a mini one for my dog or something like that? Do you see if, that one, Dave? But, but, but let me ask you this. Is there some mechanism whereby you can be like, yeah, sure, and charge them extra? Not on, not on, we have like three different ones. So not on two out of three of them. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. Can you remove the, uh, you guess you can't remove the notes section? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, so out of curiosity, because I've never had to deal with these people, like how much are they charging you? Like what, like how much? So oh, if, if so I put, much. let's say well, I order. Actually, I'm not allowed to, you know what? F that. I'm going to open the space so that everybody knows because, you know, restaurants don't like to tell because they have a deal or whatever. Okay. So I, let's not talk specifics. Let's say I was ordering fine. from another restaurant and I ordered $50 worth of stuff from you. How much, yeah. how much does like the seamless equivalent they get? Take, if you want to have like good placement on their site or like it pops up as one of the first ones, they take 50%. Wait, how much? 50, five zero. What the hell? <laughs> what? Yep. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? 50%? <laughs> what? Wait. Yeah crazy that's negative profits you're losing money everything you but they're but that's like they're some mafia advertising stuff. you to more people and then you can drop it after a while so but, if you drop um, it then yeah. how much does it cost if you're just like you know schlumpy mcschlumpenstein on it between 17 17 is the lowest and like 22 is usually where people fall so you're telling me it. you're telling me that it's as much as the food cost yep it's as but much that's as the food cost. We don't have our own delivery people, so we're using their delivery people. Oh, what if you have your own delivery people? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it must be less, but yeah. Yeah, it's got to be less. But wait, so then how did how are tips handled? They go directly to their delivery people. Direct. Yes, exactly. They get the percentage and they get the tips. Do they oh, steal yeah. the tips from them, or does it work under the same tipping laws that we have? Uh, I'm not sure. That's crazy. Well, yeah, but if you have your own delivery, because here's the thing, right? All right, let's. Because you got to get insurance for delivery people. That's why you don't want to mess with that. Right, but let's say if you were big enough and it was a big part of your business, right? It doesn't right. cost that much to hire a delivery person because they're tipped wages. So you're paying them, you know, whatever you're paying the the tipped, you know, tipped uh, workers. So right. then it's just a question of like, um, uh, yeah, I guess the the workers' comp insurance. Right. Speaking of, when I was working on a Booker and Dax prototype, I uh, <laughs> I uh, was sanding something. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah, and a piece <laughs> Tell of. Sorry. Uh, so I'm sanding something 
with a Dremel, and I didn't put my safety glasses on because literally I was sanding a piece of plastic with a Dremel, and the sanding the sanding slash cutting disc that I had on must have had metal from the last time I was cutting metal with it on it. Threw off a piece of metal right in my freaking eye. Now, Dave, when I was a young man. My eyelids were good. They could close fast and stuff wouldn't hit my eye. But now, you know, now that, you know, I'm getting on here, apparently my eyes have slowed down and the sucker went straight into my eye directly next to, like, on my cornea next to my pupil, right? Okay. So I'm thinking, <laughs> pretty much. So I'm thinking to myself, this sucks, but what am I going to do? Same thing I would always do. I'm going to blink it out. Right. I'm going to blink it out. So I'm just blinking it out. And like by the time like, you know, midnight rolls around, I'm like, maybe overnight my eye will swell up and the extra mucilage and pus will cause this object to come out of my eye. And when I wake up, I'll be fine. Right. As as I do, because Nastasi, because I'm what? I'm I'm a I'm an animal, right? I an animal. No, yeah. An animal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so anyways, so I wake up and at this point when I wake up, I not only can I not open my eye, but even shining a light on my closed eye causes... An I didn't know you went to bed first, dude. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Even shining a light on my closed eye is intensely painful because here's what's interesting. When your eye swells up uh, or like has like a, a like internal irritation, um, every time your iris moves to accommodate to light level, it's intensely painful. That's what like light sensitivity is. So every time I pass in and out of a, a zone with different lighting, I go through, ah, you know what I mean? Oh, my God. So anyways, so I had to go in, and it's a tiny piece, so you can be completely incapacitated by this tiny piece of metal. So, yeah, so they had to, like, strap my head down and flick the thing out of my eye with a needle, and then they had you know, to get it. It was like what, like when you get a splinter out, they were basically like tink, tink, tinking it out of your eyeball, right? Yeah, with a needle. Yeah. And then they get another, <laughs> and the, the ER attending did that. And then they wait for the, uh, for the eye doctor to come in and he does the same thing to remove, get this, Dave, you'll enjoy it. The rust ring uh. around where the metal was. Uh. You like that? And then I had to get a tetanus shot. Uh, booster, in your eyeball? Because I couldn't remember. No, I wish. But, you know, luckily, the very next day, I got stabbed with a piece of rusty metal. <laughs> so, like, I was like, hey, I know I have my tetanus booster, so I'm good. You know what I mean? I didn't even, I completely ignored the stab wound the next day with the rusty piece of metal because, I, you know, I was set. Yeah. One of the, one of the Roeblings. Silver uh, lining. Yeah, silver lining. There's a, there's a you know, uh you know, around, around every cloud is the sun waiting to blind you. Um, anyways, where were we going with that? Though? Why, why did I even bring that up? What were we talking about? We were talking about bad things happening. Who knows? Wear your safety glasses, people. Wear your safety glasses. Uh, so let me see. So last week we didn't have a show because I was in uh, London and visited Stonehenge and Bath. Got to go back to Bath. Bath was a nice place. Uh, I didn't really get to eat out that much any fancy places because I was with uh, uh, a bunch of kids, but I did indulge my favorite English confection, which is toffee. I love English toffee. You like that stuff, Dave? Uh, sure. What do you mean, sure? You don't, what about you, Nastasia? I don't have a strong feeling. Uh, not really. You don't like to- <laughs> Like, Werther's Original? Like, that kind no, of thing? No, no. Do you know, like, um, you know caramel, right? I'm, I'm familiar no. with caramel. Do you like, do you like craft brand caramels? Do you like the flavor like of freaking caramel? What? What? I only like those bullseye ones. 
Those are Getz caramel creams, which are delicious. That's my favorite all-time yeah. candy. So, but that that same kind of flavor, but like thirty times harder, is what like traditional English toffee is. Mm. And like I like it because I like things that fight me on a constant basis when I'm eating them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, Dave, tell them that you met my anger teacher. Oh, I did. Nastasia, uh, the day I flew back from London was like, you're doing a talk. So I gave a talk to the, because uh, Nastasia, for as much as she's like, I can't afford a microwave. I don't have space for a toilet, right? Like for all of that talk, Wait, she's a graduate. She, you know, Nastasia's always claiming poverty on everything, right? <laughs> and, and, or like lack of space. But she is uh, like a, an organizer of the Stanford entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs. I don't get paid for that. Whatevs. So we did a uh, thing at, at Tesla because, uh, you know, Nastasia's on the list. She's buying one of these Teslas. Right, new right. Tesla. Everybody knows. Yeah, yeah. Right. But again, you know, so, you know, quit with the, quit with the, oh, poor me. I, also, Nastasia gets free cable. Anyway, I don't even want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Are you stealing cable? No, free. It's like legit. Like the building was like, hey, everybody here gets cable. <laughs> wow. Anyways. So, uh, yeah, we had, I had to talk about uh, what it was like to start a business, and I met Nastasia's anger teacher, and she was like, yeah, you're angry enough. You should come. Just, just to clarify, <laughs> is it teaching you how to be angry or how to manage your anger? Or how to use anger to, as, as a way how to of... Manage it, how to exercise it. Right, okay. Not exercise yeah. in the Linda Blair sense, right? <laughs> exercise no, I, that's in the... Saying, that was yeah. a little beyond anger there. I mean, that's demonic possession. I mean, is there a difference? It's just a slight matter of degree. You think? But the crappy thing about this whole thing was that Dave completely, like, uh, massacred our business. Like, told everyone that we don't, you know, that it's not worth anything, that never to start an equipment business. We're a a trailing-edge equipment business. It was... We seemed really stupid up there. No, keeping it real, Stas. (laughs) Like, I'm proud of what we do. We do a good job. But, like... But imagine if you did... Like... Uh, it's like when it's like uh, when my wife went into architecture. Everyone tries to dissuade her from doing it because if you really want to do it, you're going to do it anyway. But it's not a good business to get into unless you really want to do it. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like yeah, yeah. It's you know. I, I would caution anybody about going into the uh, any media industry. <laughs> yeah, unless you really want to do it. You know what I mean? Like because the odds of uh, of massive success are minimal right (laughs) but like so it's like the return has to be the work itself if the work itself is a return to you then do it it you know but you know if you just are looking for something some way to make money like you know learn blockchains anyway um learn blockchains learn block everything now is blockity chain blockity block block blockity chain uh Jordana Rothman, by the way friend of the show and Don Lee friend of the show are starting a blockchain related uh fake business together but I can't discuss it because they would sue me. And it's fake? I mean, as of now, it's fake. Uh, you know, knowing Don Lee, he's already registered the name. It's one of those things where it's all about the name. Uh, it, it, next time he comes on or if Jordana comes on, we'll see if they'll, if they'll tell you about it. All right. So uh, let's get to some. Uh, oh, and by the way, I probably will not be here next week because I need to fly. What? To, I need to fly to Denver, Colorado. Because I'm going to be filming another teaser for yet another television oh, show geez. that will never get picked up. All right. Let me tell you something, people. Time mach- oh, hey, Dave, tell them about Time Machine Fridge. Oh, God. It wasn't called Time Machine Fridge. What? It wasn't called Time Machine Fridge. <laughs> yes, it was. It was not called. It was called Time Machine Chef. 
And I well, was. You have to go in the refrigerator to go back. And I don't have to right? go into a refrigerator. I was merely a judge. I was merely a judge. This was going to be a show. They actually, I think, released it. They did the show, but it, it never got bought. But it was for a, like a real network. So like, people, if you're ever going to do like some sort of TV thing, if they still have TV these days or in the future, if they have TV, uh, the the money is ginormously bigger on network versus uh, cable. Right. So um, this was a network show. So, yeah, that was years and years ago. But that was, you know, the first time when I was in a situation where I wasn't allowed to, like, go get my own coffee because they needed to know where everyone was at every second. Anyway, so that didn't get picked up. Here's the thing. Ninety times out of 100, no one's going to pick up the show. So no matter what work you do, the safest thing to do when you're going to do media work, the safest thing to do as a talent, which, by the way, is a uh, when they call you talent, that means that they hate you, right? So, like, uh, if someone calls you a talent, it means they hate you. But like, if that, if that's your job, the um, the truth is, uh, just assume that it won't happen. Like, when you're working, like, work as though you know it will work, but assume that nothing will happen because ninety nine times out of a hundred, it doesn't, right, Nastasia? That is true. Yes. Yeah. Right. Unless you're already famous, in which case chances are it'll work. You know what I mean? But like right. if, if you're not already famous or if like your basic pitch is like here's another thing no one in media wants to hear. I'm going to do things totally different from the way everyone else did it. They're like, no, I don't know how to write a check for that. I want you to do it exactly like this other person did, but just look slightly different. Right. right. That's why we have all these superhero movies. Hey, yeah. saw Black Panther. I liked it. I thought it was a good movie. Are you you uh, talking crap about Black Panther? No, I haven't seen it. I heard it's really good, but I just again I don't I don't really care about superhero movies in general. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, you hate superheroes. Um, heroes just a sandwich. Yeah, you know what? I like everyday heroes, Dave. Oh, gee, come on! There's Ooh. no such thing as an everyday hero. This is the thing. Everyone's got to be a hero now. Everyone's <laughs> a freaking. Yeah. Everyone's everybody a, gets a medal. Everybody guy, gets a trophy. That guy, he made such a good sandwich. He's an everyday hero. No, he's making sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, and I was I was just kidding. Dave, it's almost 12.45. Yeah, uh, we got to take a break. We got to take a break. break. I haven't even answered questions yet. That's your fault. We'll come right back. <sighs> Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Uh, so the first segment sounded like Jackie Molecules, but this segment did not sound like Jackie Molecules. You know what I'm saying? What are you Wh- talking about? Whoever was reading it. That was Jack the whole time. Oh, really? Didn't sound like him the second yeah. time around. First time it sounded like him. Let what? me tell you something. Love Corin. Here's the thing. Uh, 
like that's as Miley Carpenter, my sister-in-law, the head of the Food Network magazine would say, not a range like like American to Pan-Asian to French. Like those are the three things you pick. I don't think we wrote that. <laughs> not a Pan-Asian. First of all, here's another thing. Sharpening stones, people. I'll say this very quickly. I've said it a million times before. Super expensive, typically Japanese kind of like water stones people work with. Like they're great. Obviously, they're fantastic, but that is like a religion. That's like a, like a religious thing. So if you want to belong to a religion that has to do with sharpening your knives, then by all means, like get the different grits, like soak the stuff, like true them out, you know, you know, get down on your knees and pray to your knife before you sharpen. But, you know, for the rest of us, I think diamond stones work fine. It's just me. Anyway, I've, I've never had anyone, frankly, who's used the... Uh, I always forget, is it DMT or whatever, whichever one I, I always recommend, the big, the big, biggity, big, big, big one, be like, you know what? My knives are dull. No, it doesn't because they, they sharpen great and they take no freaking maintenance. Nastasi, if you were a knife person, would you want to spend half of your time when you're, when you're doing knife maintenance, do you want to worry about your knife or about your stone? My knife. Yes. Anyway, but, but again, they're, they're, they're awesome. And like, like if you're doing the whole sushi thing and it's some sort of like, you know, yes, sensei kind of a situation, then by all means, like go full waterstone, you know, you know, enjoy. Uh, okay. So, uh, Eddie from, uh, Manchester writes in, uh, I was after some tips on fermenting in vacuum bags. I'm experimenting with making a number of different flavored misos and was hoping to ferment them in vacuum bags so I can make small batches and save on space and mess. These are good reasons to use a vacuum bag. Um, you remember in, uh, in uh, I think it's The Great Pumpkin, when uh, Lucy threatens Linus. He's like, or maybe it was in, no, it was in the Christmas uh, one when, when uh, Linus goes, why should I? And she goes, I'll give you five good reasons and makes a fist yeah. in his face. And he goes, those are good reasons. So like, <laughs> like my kids and I say that to each other all the time. Those are good reasons. Um, anyway. Uh, my plan was to make uh, miso batches, vac them, and then store them inside larger bags in case they explode, which is a good thing. I always double bag anything that's fermenting. Uh, by the way, as things ferment, if they're producing carbon dioxide, they will inflate and like they get real hard like pillows. Typically, the bags that you use have enough uh, gas permeability such that they will vent gas, especially at those high pressures, prior to exploding. So I have never, I've had them leak because like of bad seals, which happens, you know, depending on your bags, your technique and your vacuum can happen up to one in 10 bags can have a, a small leak in it. And a lot of that has to do with whether you're not, you know, getting the bag uh, exactly flat on the ceiling bar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, uh, which by the way is a, is a Willy Wonka uh, reference anyway. Uh, but from the end, memo bis. Anyway, so the, uh, the, um, but typically, as they inflate, if the bags are the you know, commercial strength ones that we use, they won't rupture. They'll just get real pillowy, real hard, and then they'll slowly vent out their gas as they, as they go because they're not 100% uh, gas impermeable. So anyway, so there's that. Um, let me see. Uh, I'll check them regularly, and if the bags puff, uh, puff up excessively, then I'm guessing I could open them to release the gas and revacuum them. Eh, I don't think you should. Uh, I was uh, wondering if it is okay to pull a full vacuum on the miso and have it ferment successfully and safely. I heard a podcast from the Nordic Food Lab team who mentioned that they were trying to leave some air in the bags when they sealed things for fermenting in order to avoid botulism risks. Any thoughts and tips would be great. 
Uh, P.S. I'm enjoying my spins all. I'm looking forward to trying more stuff with that too. Cheers, Eddie. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say about that. So uh, he wrote in and said he's doing sweet miso, and he's in the 5 to 7% salt range with, with what he's doing, and he's uh, eventually short, short-term fermented misos. He wants to do some longer-term ones that are in the 20 to 25% salt range. Okay, so here's the thing. So miso is, um, is, a, is like a multi-phase fermentation, but if you think about it, there's two main steps, right? The first step, you're using a, a mold, uh, an aspergillus, um, to, you know, to actually put in the enzymes that are doing the, you know, the koji step, where you're making the koji and doing all that. That obviously requires oxygen because molds require oxygen to survive. And that's why mold is on the top of, for instance, if you're making pickles and you have a pickle crock and water gets into it, you can get some mold, I mean, uh, air gets into it, you can get some uh, mold on the top. So um, putting something in a vacuum will inhibit mold, but the mold isn't really uh, a big thing in later stages of miso fermentation. Later stages of miso, fermenta- uh, miso fermentations are lactic acid bacteria, typically other bacteria, and yeast, both of which can function in an uh, anaerobic environment. Now, um, if you have, let's say you just had soybean paste with nothing else in it, right, and you were to inoculate it with botulism, and then you were to seal it, as long as you're above about 8.5% um, salt in the liquid phase, or 10% salt, according to Clostridium botulinum Ecology and Control in Foods by Hauschild, uh, the water phase concentration for complete inhibition of uh, botulism growth and toxin production should be about 10%. But miso, we got to remember, miso is probably only about 50% solid. So anything about above about 5 6%, and you should be a salt by weight of total batch, you should be in a pretty safe zone uh, in terms of uh, botulism. Add that to the fact that you have other bacteria in there that are competing with it, other yeasts that are competing with it. Um, and you probably, I've never measured the pH of miso, but it's probably somewhat lower than neutral. So that's another hurdle. Uh, and you should be fine. Uh, any small amount of air that's in it will probably oxygen that you leave in the bag will probably get consumed relatively quickly by the yeasts in there that can consume oxygen if they want to, they're, they're facultative that way. And so I don't think it's going to be so helpful. A lot of times if you're doing straight lactic acid or other things, you can leave a little bit of air in the bag such that, um, you know, if there's any sort of aerobic, um, aerobic uh you know bacteria stuff that you want to happen at the beginning and then have it stop then you can leave a little bit of air in the bag the oxygen will get used up and then it'll go into fully anaerobic uh, fermentation but short answer is i don't think it's going to be a problem if you were really super duper worried about it you could add a pinch of nitrate to it and a, a nitrite to it and uh that should knock it out but i wouldn't be overly worried especially in your later recipes where you're going to be moving up to uh you know higher salt contents like really 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 don't uh don't worry about it uh, Scott wrote in about hams from uh, New Orleans. I'm about to buy a rarely sold country ham, burgers. I've heard a lot of descriptions on how to carve it on your show and can't wrap my head around it. Is there some reason I can't just carve this uh, like a Hamoni Ibérico uh, gets carved on the YouTube? I figure between uh, carvings, I'll just cover the carved spot in lard and wrap the ham up in wax paper. Will that work? Uh, yeah, you, where the wax paper is touching it, you can get like probably things growing on it, um, <clears throat> molds and whatnot growing on the actual kind of, uh, cut surface. Morris Burger, uh, I think it was Morris, I forget, was it, was it Morris I spoke to? Was, I haven't spoken to the burgers personally in about 14 years, 
Uh, but uh, yeah, 14 years. But yeah, they used to just cover the cut surface with lard, but they would leave it hanging, as I've said on the show before, to prevent uh, vermin from getting to it and to prevent it from drying out. So covering it in lard should be good. The Hamoni Birico people cover it up uh, temporarily with pieces of the, of the fat that they've sliced off. So that should work just to prevent. But remember that especially lard that you buy goes rancid pretty quickly, so I would wipe like severely, I mean, really wipe off any lard that you put on it and make sure that it doesn't get too greasy and maybe throw away the first slice that you take off of of the top uh, if it gets kind of rancid uh, and nasty. Now, to your former thing is that the problem with, uh, and by the way, when you're buying a burger's ham, you want to buy any any ham that you want to hand slice, right? You want it to be, for an American country ham especially, you're going to want it to be over well over nine months, a year is, it's hard to slice a nine month ham, depending on how you make it, but if it's traditionally being hung and it's not in a forced drying room, uh, you, if you slice it any earlier than nine months, the, the center of the meat is just too freaking soft to slice adequately. It's going to gum up on you. It's not going to look, it's not going to have that mahogany look that, you know, that you see in, um, in like a, a you know, a, like a really good uh, jamon or, you know, even in like, a, you know, a prosciutto, you know, to Parma, but on and around 12 months is a really good slicing range for American country hams, but because of the way that they're hung and because of the way they're cured, uh, the, the conformation of them, there's always going to be a giant difference in texture between the center of the meat and the outside. So the outside meats, especially on the exposed flesh part, are always going to be a lot harder, a lot harder. So in a 12-month hand, they're going to be a lot harder there and still going to be fairly soft in the, like, the fat part of the kind of cushion area of the meat. And so it may, that also makes it a little bit more difficult to slice it long the way that you would for a hamoni barico. But the, the main challenge here is that they're just cured in a different shape. If you look, there are some people who cure their hams, uh, Americans who cure their hams long, you know, stretched out and long. And those ones would probably be easier to slice uh, as though it was a hamoni barico. Uh, you might have to remove some of the bone around the H-bone area if they leave it in to try to, you know, make the slicing more effective. But the ones that are scrunched up tighter and are more cannonball shaped, I think you're going to have a tougher time um, <clears throat> doing the, you know, the three-direction slicing like they do with a, with a hamon. But, hey, give it a shot and, uh, and let, let me know. Let me know. I haven't had a burger's ham in a long time. Anyway, what do you think, Stas? Is that a good enough answer or no? No. No? I said yeah. Oh. No. No. All right. time for one more. One more. One more. All right. Well, all right. I'll do... Um, not a long one. Oh, son of a gun. Because I have, I have three more. Like a yes or no question. What? <laughs> you, you, you hate me. All right, listen. Colin Hunter wrote in... I'm not going to answer this one right now. Colin Hunter wrote <laughs> Sorry, in... Colin. No, he wrote in because I don't know the answer, but I want some answers from people. I want them to, to email, email us in. Colin's in New Zealand, and he's working with this product called uh, Mamaku, right? When you type Mamaku into your browser, it thinks you're looking for Mamase, Mamasa, Mamakusa from, uh, <laughs> you know, from uh, Michael Jackson. But in fact, you're not. You're looking for Mamaku, which is this fern that they eat in, uh, in New Zealand. But it's extremely mucilaginous, right? And so... Colin's looking for a way to combat mucilage in general in foods. And so I'm going to leave that out. I want people to text you know, or write us in and like talk about their mucilage things. He says he's tried to treat it like okra. He's tried to soak it. He soaked it from 30 minutes to three days in various amounts of salt. He soaked it in acids. 
uh, for varying lengths of time, both before and after salting. So these are classic things to deal with uh, mucilage, right? Uh, he's tried frying it, uh, deep frying it, baking it, roasting it, sous vide, high to low temp, and he has, and he can't get rid of enough of the mucilage to have it be what he thinks is like applicable to most people's like of mucilage, right? So he's hit all these high notes of things that you would typically say to do. Uh, I would say I would like to hear some tips on people. I was looking up mountain yams because those are some slippery things. Those are those are the ones where you know we were peeling them in front of uh, Nastasia and someone picked it up and it shot across the room and and it shattered on the floor and everyone like was relating it to th- things that we shouldn't talk about on air. It was nightmare. It was a complete nightmare. But anyway, I had a non mucilage uh, uh, one of those that was kind of tempurid, and I got to figure out how the chef unslimed them there. So anyone that has any stuff on how to get rid of this sort of slime or if they have any experience in particular with this particular slime, I'd be interested to hear it. Just FYI, people, mucilage in plants are typically uh, extracellular polysaccharides, okay? So, uh, you know, similar to like xanthan snot. So the, the thing is, is that a lot of times if you keep them in the plant product until you consume them, it masks their kind of presence. That's how okra works. Sometimes the mucilaginous texture develops and gets stronger as you add it to more liquids because the stuff leaches out and then can functionally slime up a lot more liquid than it itself contains, right? So just not cutting something can prevent a lot of slime. Drying things can prevent slime. If you dry the outside, for instance, and then fry it once the outside is dry, perhaps it won't be mucilaginous in, in, in the middle. But this is why salting, why vinegar, because they shift uh, how and soaking, is because they shift and or dilute this polysaccharide that's in there that's uh, slime. But anyone that has any suggestions, uh, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Uh, so next week, or not next week, because I won't be around next week, we will get to uh, Marlo's questions about martinis and uh, cooling them and uh, dilution in martinis, because we don't have time to get to it now. This will have been Cooking Issues. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? Probably would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd Shulkin, your host, and the Foundation's Executive Director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe 
just as Joy used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in.